So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, back from uh, the elk hunt that I was recently on with South Cox and uh, Mitchell Bond. Um, I've got uh, Colin beside me. What's happening? Hola. Not much. If I sound tired, uh, that's because I am. Um, <laughs> interesting few days hunting. It was pretty crazy. But as, as most people know, last year I hunted with uh, with South on a, a pretty crazy uh, wilderness backpack hunt. Well, we had llamas last year. Um, did the same kind of hunt this year. We went a little bit farther in. We actually only had to pack a little bit. We had horse packers, uh, buddies of mine, take us in there and drop us off, which was super cool. Uh, but this, uh, you know, for, for everybody that asked, this was a public land hunt, but it's a limited draw unit that we we were able to get landowner tags um, for. And how those, I think people, there's some confusion on that. You can get what's called a PLO, which is a private land only landowner tag. And you have to hunt on the private land that the landowner was, you know, for the landowner that was given the tag. And then you have a unit wide landowner mm -hmm. tag. And that just gives you the ability to go hunt the wilderness or national forest in that unit. And that's what South and I had got was those tags. Um, and yeah, it's wilderness. And yes, it was really fucking far. Uh, and if anybody heard about the llama drama last year, um, <laughs> we marked it out this year. Uh, it was 14 and a half to where I killed mine, 12 and a half to where South killed his. Um, and uh, it was uh, just shy of five miles when I had that, that big load coming out. And uh, South uh, had done uh, 26 or seven miles in one day. Um, Good Lord. And uh, yeah, because I thought I was, I did 18 or 19. I thought I was tough. South had to go back in and get with two llamas. And this was last year. This was last year. So this year for me, uh, well, before I even get into that, we'll whatever, we'll cover that as applicable um, as we tell the story. So I uh, I did have a bunch of questions on a Q&A I did and, and messages I'd gotten. I will cover those as we kind of talk back and forth about yeah. the hunt. And this is going to be part one because uh, South is still out there. Um, <laughs> I had to bring, get the elk out after four or five days of it hanging in a tree and obviously come back to work. So um, hopefully I didn't leave South hanging too bad. He did have uh, some help while he was back there. But uh, but yeah, we we uh, we headed in. I drove down from, uh, from here, went and hung out with Luke for a night, sat in the ground blind with him. And then... Uh, we, we all met. Swank ground blind. Um, yeah, definitely the swank ground blind. <laughs> uh, we all met kind of at the same, um, uh, at the same area down there uh, where, where we were at. And it was uh, me and South. And then I was in, you know, solo, meaning I didn't have a, a caller or a video guy or mm -hmm. gal or whatever. Uh, South had Mitchell Bond, who I want to throw a shout out for anybody listening. Go fo uh, follow Mitchell. Uh, he looks like a big buff ass Dennis the Menace. Oh, you, uh, so you figured out his name, Mitchell? Yeah, because I always just call him Dennis the Menace. Uh, he's a fucking stud, super good dude, good to hang out with. Um, yeah, he and I called for for South after I got in mine, but we had all met down there in the in the cameraman mm -hmm. and. Uh, South and Mitchell and the cameraman took off and I actually was worried about my foot. So I was just going to ride a little and then kind of swap back and forth. And yep. my, my foot ended up with that many miles being better. So I think the bones are healed and the tendonitis, um, Fremont therapy here, uh, and your wife, both dry needling and stretching yeah. wasn't really, didn't have a problem. That's I mean, good, it was a little man. stiff in the morning, but yeah. I mean, compared to limping around, like I got hit with fucking rock salt, it was 
And I think the sheep feet honestly help. I just got them this year and I was, I mean, I normally don't have foot problems, but yeah. they, they're awesome. Yeah. And I was actually going to talk about that later, but let's talk about it now. Um, as far as the sheep feet go, you know, cause, uh, obviously we, it rained a lot. And so <laughs> I about melted my sheep feet. Cause, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, on, 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 I, I, with, with rain gear or whatever, like I wear my underwear when it's going to rain all day and just my rain gear. Mm. Um, you know, the, the problem is, is eventually even the boots I have with that much rain and creek crossings, whenever they're going to leak somewhere. Yep. Um, and so, uh, I had brought those, uh, the, you know, the sheep feet out and, uh, people ask about durability for them. Um, I think I've had that set two years. Literally the, the end of them was the fucker fell in a fire. Like I had it on a branch, <laughs> but I pulled it out super quick, but I can't say enough about those sheep feet as far as it's a game changer for the issues that I have. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I mean, if you can get a hold of them, they're, they're awesome. It'll change. Cause I mean, you're pretty just t- typical. Like I, I wear my hunting boots almost all the time. And so do you. And if you do, you're eventually going to kind of get to a point where your feet get, uh, fatigued from them, or I don't know what the the proper terminology is, but the the sheep feet, man, they just take all that away. It's they're fantastic. Yeah, it was good, and we were putting on some miles every day where we're at. You know, there's quite a bit of climbing to do. Um, last year I wore the Baltoros, which are a little bit lighter weight boot, and that was a mistake for me. This year I wore the 2092s, and not a mistake. Very yeah. and the rain, you know, they're pretty waterproof. So, um, but yeah, we we got back in there, we got camp set up, um, you know, and it was fairly early 1230 we got it set up and and uh i actually mitchell uh has i got him we got him a sawtooth and he'd never put one up so i was kind of showing hey to say put the sawtooth yeah. up and uh we swapped mitchell's shoulder straps out he had shorts and oh dang being a bigger kid we gave him you know longs i swapped those out and then uh we started hiking up a hill and uh i actually i wounded a elk three hours from the time we left camp uh dang. called a bull straight in and uh, i you know i Obviously, I'm you know I'm gonna get some shit from this, but I I um, try to be as honest. I mean, I'd like to pretend I never miss anything, and I generally don't, <laughs> especially with the compound. But shit happens. Um, you know, we're in a burn, and we called a called a bull in right out of his bed. We heard it from camp. Basically, mm-hmm. we climbed up maybe twelve hundred vertical feet, like pretty good climb. I was like, damn. Got on the ridge line, and you know, South does it smart. Like he'll go fifty. 30 second break, 50 yards, 30 second break, oh, okay. 100 yards, 30 second, whatever. Yeah. So you don't get really, I say you don't really, get, I was sweating yeah. my balls off, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you don't get too jacked up. So we get to where these two ridges kind of intersect and we just, I think somebody broke a branch. We were getting ready to sit down and bull fired off and South and I was like, oh dude, we're like, he's 150 yards or less from us. Like Damn. he was in this patch of tree. So we kind of got our crap together and positioned South accordingly. Cause we were trying to get, you know, South the shots first with yeah. the stick. And, um, Mitchell started calling and that bull, I mean, straight in. And, uh, the bull did not do the textbook go upwind where he would, you know, smell us in front right. of South. Yeah. He walked right to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you gotta be, I mean, literally like I look back at Mitchell and I'm like, this elk is not following the the status quo for elk's noses. Like yeah. maybe he's got COVID. I mean, because <laughs> um, and maybe it was he came in so hot that um, his wind where he was was different. And by the time he yeah. got to where it shifted again towards the top of that ridge line, he's like pissed on it. Microthermals in there, yeah, yeah. And so uh, anyway, uh, he came in, and I uh, it was pretty close shot. I mean, twenty six to thirty two yards. I didn't really range it, but close and. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if I nicked a branch or if the broadhead opened or, mm. or from beating the hell out of it and climbing up over deadfall. Yeah. If I maybe wedged the arrow into the foam farther and it, it, it uh, like stretched out the, anyway, I think I hit a branch and that arrow did some crazy shit and just gave it kind of a flesh wound across its neck to the point where I literally was not real happy. Right. Like yeah. when I, I mean, I'm just like, well, I don't get too damn I mean, shit happens, but and, and honestly with elk, I've killed elk with uh, horns sticking out of them. So that elk literally probably walked away like, oh man, did a deadfall catch me in the neck? You literally, yeah, yeah. when he walked off, I'm like, that didn't go like I had planned it, you know? And <laughs> no, you know, no big deal. We went and we obviously went and looked and tried to figure out, okay, make sure that, uh, you know, what happened. We thought, well, we had it on film. Yeah. So, well, okay, well, that's good. And so we, um, try not to miss anything. We, you know, and at this time also, I will say it was like 80, 70, great weather, right? Yep. Like 75, maybe forties in the morning, 70 in the day, 75. So mm, we kind of follow the path that that elk was on. Mm-hmm. Um, one to just confirm, make sure it's still looking for blood or whatever. And then we, we think we got on that elk screaming again, uh, chasing cows, um, which I was like, man, look, give me the video. So we're watching the video and I'm watching this bull chase cows on the hillside. And I'm like, dude, is that the same elk? And Mitchell's like, I, I think it is. And I'm yeah. like, well, I'm definitely going to keep hunting now. Like yeah. I, when I say that, I'm not a guy that punches my tag. If I get a, uh, if I wound an animal now, if it hits it in the stomach, that's a different story. But I mean, I hit an animal in the leg. I, I'm not on a guided hunt. If I drop blood, I'm not punching my tag. The department of wildlife figures in some, you know, wounding and whatever, but if it's fine, I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep hunting. Some people, have kind of an ethical code. And if they draw yeah. blood, yeah, that's not me. I'm, I'm going to keep hunting. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get on that bull, another bull. I, there's bulls everywhere. We call one into South. He gets to like 80 and he wins us. And we end up working our, our way around. And uh, man, I think we called seven bulls in that day. Um, that half day. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say called in, within a hundred, they weren't like in, yeah, in. coming. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, super cool. So we're excited and go back to camp and broke out some salami. Uh, by nice. the way, the processor here makes incredible summer sausage and salamis because I had to horse pack some of that in. So kind of just got a game plan for the morning. And uh, I knew where we were going because mm-hmm. Hearn and I had been in there last year. And it was what my... It wasn't where I killed mine, mm-hmm. but it was another spot that I had really liked. We didn't turn up a ton of elk in there, but it, it should have because of the terrain. Right. Man, we did not make it far. And South fucking goes. Like, he may have little legs, but he does not stop. And he's like, oh, let's climb to the top. So he climbs the top. <laughs> we get up there, and uh, we call in three raghorns, four raghorns, um, give or take. And... Uh, mm, Nothing, anything we wanted to, sh- to shoot. And, and I was like really trying to shoot six by six, 300 inches. That yeah. was my goal. Um, and so um, we got to, uh, oh, 10 o'clock, the weather, wind, wind was pretty bad. And so I'm like, hey, dude, let's take a nap, like whatever. And so I was like, hell yeah, I'm all about nap time. So <laughs> I can't nap. No, neither can I. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and they are three of them. I got video, like all snoring. Just sawing logs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got a photo where my eyes are open. I'm like, there's behind me. and But there's a bull bugling on the, the valley floor. And don't get me wrong, like I 
for a better opportunity would drop right down. And I'm like, which I ended up having to do three times after I killed my elk. But I'm like, man, maybe I can call him up here. And uh, he's firing off. A couple other bulls start firing off all around. I mean, there's elk everywhere firing off at this point. And everyone's still sleeping. And uh, finally, the camera, Mitchell wakes up. And I'm like, dude, that thing's... I might be able to call it up this mountain. I mean, we're stupid enough to climb up here. He's stupid enough to climb up here to get laid. He might come. <laughs> and uh, I, I blew a cow call and uh, a bull 300 yards to our left above us just <laughs> south pops up. And I'm like, oh, now you're excited, you know. And <laughs> I think he was putting his shoes on or we were getting to, I mean, he was coming. Like oh, he, he took getting, his shoes off too, dang. I think so. Um mm, I'm not sure. Either way, we had to get our shit together. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was packing gear fast, and I'm like, I didn't call again because I was like, oh, that bull's, he's ready. Yeah. Like, so, and you guys will see this on the, the video. We have good, I think I showed it to you earlier. Mm -hmm. where he came in glunking like crazy. So, head down, ready to rock. We, uh, we, we position, um, Mitchell and I kind of buddy team call for South. So it sounds like a couple cows at least. Yeah. So the cameraman's with South. He hooks above us and towards the bull. And at this time, I mean, you look at Coulter Wall as a prime example of don't judge a voice by its <laughs> body size, right? So you don't ever want to get too excited. But I was like, man, he sounds just nasty. Yeah. And uh, I, I South's up there, and I see South with a shit-eating grin, shaking his head up and down with a thumbs up. And I'm like, oh, that's the sign. It's big and good. I mean, South's ready to, to, to shoot, right? Yeah. It's coming. And I can hear, oh, oh. And I was like, oh, shit, I think he's glunking. And I'm deaf for them. I can't hear thunder, right? I'm like, I think he's glunking. <laughs> I look back at Mitchell, and Mitchell literally is like, hey, the building's on fire. We should get out of here. He's always calm. <laughs> Mitchell's got a shitty grin. He's like shaking his head. And I'm like, okay. Well, I see the bull coming, and I'm like, oh, damn, it's going to run south over. Well, yeah. mm, you saw that video. It came in at 20-ish yards in front of south to me. I literally um, – I, I I had just knocked an arrow because I literally was not planning on shooting. And I'm like, man, I better knock one in case it comes to me if maybe South needs a follow-up. So I knock. And when it's coming to South, I'm like, man, I better grab my bow. Like, it's in range now. So now my bow's in my hand, and I'm like, keep it in your pants. Like, don't shoot this thing <laughs> under South. Like, give South every opportunity you can. Well, I hear South, you know, voice, you know, and it stops. South shoots. And I was trying to figure out, like, did he hit it? Mm -hmm. And um, then it, I just went to full draw and cow called because I'm like, well, if he can't hit it again, and I'll, I'll, you know, we'd already talked about it, like put a follow-up in it, either right. one of us, right? So I looked and I was trying to see if it was hunched up or, you know, whatever. And uh, I'm like, man, he this was all in five seconds. And uh, Mitchell called a couple times and it pivoted. And there was a, a hole maybe like a football for me to shoot through. And the elk was somewhere between 17 and 22 yards. It was close. Yeah. And so it was weird. I had done a, a picture mm, talking about a frontal shot on my story mm -hmm. or not on my story on my page about where I aim. And some guys had said maybe it was too low. And I had explained, yeah, I'd shot a lot of elk that way. And that um, when they're that close, they have a tendency to drop. And if you've got your crap together, you're about three, four inches above the no-no land. Mm -hmm. And then they'll usually drop and it'll hit a little higher. Well, that's exactly, I put that arrow right there. And when I hit it, it looked like it buried to the fletches. And I looked back at Mitchell and he was like, that dead bull. Yeah. And uh, it sounded like he was plowing trees over. Like we heard trees falling when he ran off. And I was like, man, I think he crashed, but maybe he ran into another tree. Um, and I will also say when he spun, I had... Uh, 
initially judged him in that 320 range and I was grossly under judging that elk. Like yeah. when he spun, I was like, Oh, holy cow. That bull's pretty big. So South didn't even know I shot. He couldn't hear the bow. South was like, did you Dang. shoot? And I'm like, dude, it's dead. Like I smoked <laughs> it. And, uh, he's like, right on. And I was like, no, I think it's, it's dead now. Like it was 10 seconds later. I'm like, no, he's dead. Like, I think I, I said, I blew his heart in half. And, uh, the video, I don't know if you saw the blood trail video, yeah. but it was like stop signs every, every <laughs> time he bound it hit. And then he actually still went mm, 7,500 yards straight down. Um, mm, he went up a hill, like a three foot rise and you can see the root wad where he knocked that tree over. Um, cause it's a burn, you know? Yeah. So we got down to it and, uh, sat, I was like, oh yeah, that bull's a lot bigger than I thought it was like, and I'm, again, we talked about trophy hunting. I would have shot him six by six and three was what I was yeah. trying to, to hit. And so South went over and got a hold of it. And I was like, that's a thousand pound bull and yeah. he's 340 all day. I was like, holy cow. And I videoed South. I said, South, tell everybody what happened. He's like, well, uh, I had a swing and a miss. Aaron batted cleanup. <laughs> well, we had already gotten earlier uh, that day on a, when I say gotten on, I had a bull, mm, 500 yards away did it close the distance by 250 but he wouldn't come all the way but we saw the patch of trees he went back in and he was bigger than my bull and or as big and so i didn't want to screw um you know south so i was like well mm, let's get some photos help me get half of this thing break it because it was like noon uh when we killed it mm -hmm. and um so we got some pictures and then we got the bull like half of it taken care of got the front and rear quarter off and backstrap. And I was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm good. I've done this solo my whole life. Get out of here, go kill an elk. I'll handle the bull. I'll pack it out. And uh, he's like, sure. I'm like, Oh yeah. Why? That was a mistake. Cause I had, <laughs> should have had him let me flip it. Um, it looked like I was making sweet love to that leg of that elk. I couldn't get it to roll over. So I ended up cutting the head off and getting the front quarter off before I could even flip it. Damn. Um, it was all cocky wobble. And anyway, I got it, uh, I got it broken down and I videoed you know, how I load the pack up and mm -hmm. everything else and got, a oh, uh, probably to do half of it took me another, and I was taking my time, maybe two and a half hours. I had a little bit of water there that I could get from a seep. And, uh, so I was at trying to, you know, explain about deboning a little bit on video. And then I was like, well, um, mm, I had the straight jacket. So I was talking about how I load that up. And uh, trying to pick up the bags and kind of assess, you know, I'm like, man, I think I'm close to 300 pounds of meat here. I'm going to have to make this in three trips. So yeah. I, uh, I did the first trip thinking, you know, I'm going to try it in two. So I was pushing. Yeah, it was a mistake um, <laughs> at one time, right? Not now. Um, I was pushing probably 140 maybe in the, in the pack, maybe a little bit more. Um, got to my feet. And that drop was a lot worse than I had anticipated. It was like so, 1,200 feet? South thought it was farther. Yeah, it's a long ways. Um, and it's pretty much straight down. So I got, without injury, got to 100 yards from where the trail is supposed to be. Um, hang it up and I, you know, climb back up. And it was, I videoed uh, a portion of me climbing back up on the second or third trip. And uh, I get up there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to make it in two. And uh, I didn't have enough room in the pack. It just was too much meat. Mm -hmm. um, so I put it in the bane because I, I have had the bane. And so <laughs> I, I filled the bane full of maybe 50 pounds, 45 pounds oh, of shit. meat. And so carried it in my hand. <laughs> it was comical. So I get it. I don't go very far. I mean, 300 yards maybe. Yeah. And I hit a, um, 
Mm. There's a lot of deadfall in there too. So are you stepping over all these trees? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. Um, I get to, uh, I don't know, whatever I went two, three, four hundred yards, whatever it was. And I get to a big cut bank. There's a pass on it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to take this cut bank pass, um, down, down to the Creek (coughs) rather than the way I went before follow the Creek down. I may get like six feet and Neat shit. The the bane rolls to the bottom. Um, shit. I mean, flipping, and I'm like, well, the meat's tenderizing. So, and uh, the 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 five on the the elks like spiked the back of my calf. I'm laying there with like a Charlie horse. I'm like, this is the dumbest shit I've tried to do. So, I kind of wallow around and get to a point. I can get the pack off and um, get the, get the pack off, and I actually kicked the pack down with the bane. I'm like, fuck it, and I just kicked the pack down, and it rolled to the bane, and then I kind of <laughs> drug the rack down and. Put the bane um, in the shade, pulled the game bags out, put the elk rack in the same spot, and uh, then I still had a hundred and something. So I'm like, I'll just take the creek down. I don't know how far, a hundred yards I hit, I get cliffed out in that. There's an oh, 80, 100 foot drop where the creek goes over kind of a waterfall, which I guess South knew that was there. I did not. Oh, so it's the fucking worst. Mm. <laughs> Like, well, I guess I'll climb out of this fucking hole. So I climb up, get down, hang that up, come back up, get that, whatever the deal, you know, leapfrog. And uh, I get, and I'm like, man, this is perfect. I'm 90 yards on Onyx from the trail. Mm -hmm. It's getting dark at this point. And I'm like, all right. So I hit the trail and uh, I don't make it a hundred yards down the trail. And I'm like, there's no way horses are getting here. There's there's just pixie sticks of blowdown. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I still got some life left in me. I'm going to go back and piggyback. You know, I'm already done. I was going to sleep in the next day anyway. I'm like, I'll, I'll burn it at both ends until I got nothing left. That didn't take once to hit to that point. So I, (laughs) I went back and grabbed the, the Bane bag, which was two back straps, two tenderloins and the, the rack. Yeah. I think I made it 700 yards, uh, through the blowdown, maybe six and said, fuck it. Pop smoke and yeah. hung that up, put the, the rack under a tree, marked it on Onyx and headed back to camp. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't functioning overly well at that point. I was doing <laughs> not good. Um, my calves were pretty smoked from climbing and my quads were not great. And so mm, South woke up and I, you know, it just said, hey, uh, tomorrow I'm going to sleep in tomorrow and get up, you know, 839 when the sun hits the valley, mm-hmm. hike up and piggyback everything else up. And so I... Uh, yeah, I went up there and uh, piggybacked everything, you know, down to where I thought the horses could get to, which I was pretty close. Um, when we went and got it later was we had a 200-yard manual carry to the horses. So I got it as, about as close as I could have. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the next day I just ate all morning and drank water <laughs> and stretched out quite a bit because I was, um, you know, unless you've – so the problem, and Kenneth and Dan are going to run into this, and I've tried to explain to this, usually – the mind gives out far before the body. Yeah. Well, for the for, for the people that can push their body much farther than they normally could have, when your body goes out, it's it's done. Yeah. Right. There is no mental toughness going to get you anywhere. And I was um, pushing that limit that night because uh, cramping and you know uh, lactic acid, yeah. and, you know jelly legging, trying to climb over logs, and and just the general this fucking sucks balls. Like. Yeah. The rack is so wide. The the inside spread of that rack, we measured it, was 44 and a half, 45 oh, inches. So the width of the rack, I was getting wedged on shit. You know, 10 o'clock at night, dead fall, to yep. the point where I'm like, fucking cocksucking, motherfucker. I mean, just cussing. And I'm like, give up, right? I just put the fuck. You're going to kill yourself. Put the rack away and get get down the mountain. So the next morning, I just kind of laid there in a 
pool of pity, like <laughs> trying to stretch out and everything else. So mm, I got it taken care of. Um, uh, South came, they, it, so it rained, started raining that night. I That's one of the reasons I wanted to get it taken care of now because there was a monsoon coming and we were looking at flood alerts and shit. And I'm like, surely it's not going to rain that bad, but I was wrong. It rained <laughs> really bad. So that, that night um, they came back in, they'd gotten into a bunch of elk. They didn't, they didn't end up getting one. And so I was going to potentially leave the next day. Mm-hmm. And uh, South was like, Hey, we could use another caller. I'm like, Hey man, there's a bunch of stuff going on at work. And, uh, and, you know, born primitive, Kafaru, and I was like, but I'll give it a few more days. And so uh, that probably was a mistake because it rained for the next 48 hours, basically. Like the scene from Forrest Gump, it just started raining one it, day. Oh, mm. it, uh, that's the hardest I'd seen it rain in Colorado for that long. Now, I, uh, sorry, everybody, I was spitting my chew out. Um, <laughs> when I, when it rains that bad, mm, and it's not super cold. Sorry, you can probably hear me swallowing. Mm. <laughs> ah, I wear my underwear and the rain gear. I strongly suggest for anyone listening to follow that. Um, and then I put my pants in case in a dry bag mm-hmm. in my fleece and stuff that I would wear. So I wear a T-shirt up top, underwear on the bottom. I wear my rain jacket and my uh, underwear and my rain bottoms. And then I just blow out the hip zips, the leg zips and the pants when it's not raining. And then I keep everything dry. So, uh, we take off the next morning and, uh, yeah, it never stopped raining. Um, I mean, we called in some elk. Um, it ended up being probably, you know, one of the highest amount of elk I've seen in a day, Mm -hmm. but we didn't call too many in. I mean, we called three or four in, but not within range. Um, we ended up stopping and I was like, Hey, I don't know if you guys are post this, but, uh, your shit's all wet. I should build a fire. So we built a bonfire basically under a bunch of, you know, overhang. So we didn't have rain, got some stuff dried out and the elk weren't being real receptive to coming in, but they were being very vocal. And so South and I had talked about Mitchell and I would stay, he would take the cameraman and, and call and just keep them talking. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have communication back there, so it's kind of a shot in the dark of exactly if this shit pans out or not. If, you know, because I'm assessing where I think South might be mm-hmm. and hoping, right? And so we called and we could see four large bulls that we were thinking South was going after. So we were trying to watch South and then there's elk in the valley. There's like one estrus call, like 500 yards. I'm seeing this bull's chasing her around. Another bull comes in, steals her from that bull. I'm like, well, surely... Something, somebody's going to shoot something or something's, you know, they're going to blow them out. Something's happening. Yeah. So we stayed there for quite a while. And then we dropped down to the bottom or closer to the bottom to get water too. And kind of paralleled where with the way the wind was going, if South blew those out, assessing he may be going after more and more as we go up the valley. So we paralleled it and uh, we ended up calling in Mitch and I, bulls to us with no weapon. Um, one of them was a raghorn that literally ran straight through it, scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> cause he was, you know, he didn't want his ass kicked. So he was trying to fly through to see if he could hook a cow and get it out of there. I say raghorn. I mean, it was a three-year-old five by six. And, uh, so, you know, there's multiple bulls going off, but it's getting like five thirty at night. And I'm like, I have no idea where South is, where I get a message from, uh, uh, the camera guys in reach, are you at the meeting point? And I'm like, meeting point? <laughs> no. Well, we had talked about meeting at this creek and I'm like, no, we're like two miles above the meeting point. Like I thought, but, but the wind for us was different for them. So mm-hmm. they ended up kind of, um, 
popping smoke on it to not blow everything else out and working their way to the meeting point. So we hiked out, got to the meeting point, um, and then, uh, yeah, kind of hiked out in the misery of rain and uh, got to camp, tried to build a bonfire. We did, tried to dry out stuff. South got, um, he, he, uh, we all had sawtooth. South got his stove going in the sawtooth. We sat in there, headed out the next morning, pretty much a repeat of that day of nothing but rain. And so the next morning, um, I was like, I had the Packers come in and was like, hey, South, it's, you know, it's been hanging four and a half days. I, I should get it out of here. He was cool. And uh, Packers came in. We hiked up, got it, uh, you know, got it out. And um, it's it's a poke. I mean, it took the day to get, I mean, we, I think we got to the trailhead at seven, something like that, 630. So it took the whole day. Dang. Um, the cameraman ended up ended up getting out of there um, that same day. I'm not sure what was going on as far as that goes. So I was now worried because I'm like, well, shit, South doesn't have a cameraman. Mitch has a his iPhone 14, so he can, um, you know, film in 4K with that. And so, but I was like, man, I don't know if they have a communication device. So I'm like, <laughs> I kind of screwed South because the cameraman had one, but he bounced. And uh, so I was like, well, shit. Um, so I ended up talking to... Uh, Kyrie, South's wife, let him kind of know, her her know what's going on. And then South actually the next day called me. He got service. He climbed up to the top. We got oh, a game shit. plan. So yeah. I didn't, because I was like feeling <clears throat> kind of bad because I was like, we went from this being no problem. He's got two guys to now he's got no cameraman and no communication device, but he could climb up and get service. So, um, I mean, he's, I talked to him yesterday. They were into a bunch of elk, he said. So hopefully, I mean, part two will be when South comes out on what happened with that. But yeah. some of the some of the things I kind of wanted to cover were some of the questions people had. The number one question was my, uh, well, one of the primary ones, other than bow and kafaru gear, uh, was the grail, that water. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's, I've never even seen that. Yeah, I had just heard about it from Craig, not mm. who Craig met a guy on, or uh, a hus uh, husband and <laughs> father and son that were using it. He had mentioned it to me and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I've never used it. So I ordered one and it, it was good. I mean, so far so good. I mean, I don't give it another week, see if I get the shits, but, <laughs> um, super handy. It's like, a a filtration cup inside of a cup, you, you pull the one out, fill the water up. Yep. And then as you press down the filters at the bottom and then it pushes up into huh. a, a water bottle. That's super convenient. And drink it. Yeah. So, you know, when you got a lot of water around, it's yeah. super handy because I just stop wherever and fill it up. And so I actually didn't carry a bladder. I killed it, carried an Nalgene in that cup, which is a little bit of a weight penalty, I guess, if you were doing like an extended backpack trip, but I would fill up the Nalgene uh, full and put some electrolytes in it and then have that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, so far I love that thing. It's been great. It's only 24 ounces of the only negative side. And mm -hmm. then uh, my, my bow set up, it was a PSE Omen. It was actually the same bow that I shot the antelope and the mule deer with. Um, I did replace, I had that arrow blow up. Right. And uh, the, the bow had derailed, which is pretty common when you have a, you're basically dry fire the bow. So I had replaced the cams and the limbs, but I had it dialed in an hour, uh, before I had left. So I was like, well, this bow's rocking. I'm other than this paint job. I spray painted it cause the limbs were black. <laughs> um, it was ready to go. So I actually shot it with that bow and that it's a 71 pounds. I'm shooting a 507 or 17 grain arrow. I can't remember exactly. And it's at like 288 ish. So, I mean, it's that omen's pretty pretty fast. People are, I had a few people ask me why I didn't get an 80 pounder and I'm kind of a smart ass. I said, well, cause I wanted a 70, but <laughs> it's, um, it, I don't need an 80. Um, I'm shooting, that was, I was shooting an Easton axis, um, 300 spine and I've got a, 
um, either a 50 grain with a 125 sever <laughs> or a 75 grain and a 100 grain swacker, same point weight up front, and a 10 grain iron wheel collar on that. And then I'm shooting uh, 2.3 fletch, 2.6 inch AAE hybrid with a little offset and a little helical. Um, I did it with that uh, last chance fletching jig, okay. uh, the, the Vein Master Pro. So... Anyway, I had, um, I had schwackers and severs and, you know, as everybody knows, I'm a big fan of severs, but I had told Levi, he had just brought in schwacker, brought all of the, um, uh, production for schwacker into the United States, all American awesome. made. Yeah. yeah. So I told Levi, I was like, yeah, man, I'll try them. I'll, I'll get more. I've used schwackers before. So when that bull came in, um, I put, I just threw a schwacker on and that's what I shot. And it was a frontal shot. Like we talked about it, buried it up to the fletches and the blood trail was ridiculous. So that's what I ended up shooting it for. I think, or shooting it with, I think some people think when I switch something at times, something was wrong with what I was shooting right, before. Right. It's just, I test gear. Like, and I was trying to explain that, like I, I would be a horrible gear tester if I never tested anything, right? You got it in the field, in the field. Yeah. yeah. You got to test it. So, um, the, uh, that, so that, that, um, that bull was with a schwacker. And then I had also done part one of the arrow review, which will be out soon. And I had just talked about, um, that should come out before this, if not whatever, that I feel a 204 shaft is like the okay, best that's what all I was about around. to ask you, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when I say that, I find 204s are more consistent and easier to tune. The component system is better. Yep. As far as like what 204 shaft, I'll, I'll announce that later. I'm still going to do more testing. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to do more testing. Um, I'm a real big fan of, of three primaries, the Eastern Axis, obviously, um, the... Um, the, the VAP TKO and yeah. VAP SS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also like the Rampage from Black Eagle. The the thing, um, you know, that, that uh, like, components is the big one, yeah. you know. So I went in, in my review, I talk about component systems and everything else, but I do feel a 204 is the best all around, you know, shaft to, to shoot. I was using an HHA Tetra Tournament 4-pin sight, uh, AAE Prophecy Rest. That's what I've used for years. I've got a modified Quivalizer 8-arrow um, that I cut <laughs> down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, people asked, <laughs> yeah, people asked about that. I just cut five inches off the, the, the rod so it kicks it back so it's not, as, it's not out as far yeah. on the, in front of the bow. It works fine. I cut too much off the first one, so I'd kind of screw around and get the right length on it. But um, And I was shooting um, Infinity Pro uh, release from B3. It's a hinge. And I've hunted with a hinge for years, and I did a video on that recently. We'll have out soon as well um, on YouTube. Uh, yeah, and then I bought a straight – I brought the straight jacket pack. You know, if we were backpacking in uh, for that long, I wouldn't have brought that. I would have brought a doll um, or a Ma do something like mm-hmm. that. But um, – you know, that's kind of overlooked even by me. Um, I hadn't used it that much. And then I recently, a couple months ago, started using it. And, I, you know, I did a lot of videos on why it is so handy. So, like, when I had the game bag full of meat and the elk head, I could still get to my puffy and my... On um, the wings. Yeah, on the wings or my fleece or whatever. And then the, the back side of it, I have belt pouches. And so I can get to drink mix or food or a beanie or a headlamp or whatever without detaching anything. Super nice. You can't do that with a big bag. Um, you got to get everything off. And so I was able to strap all that on there and still get to everything I needed when I, you know, keel over and need to take a break (laughs) or whatever. So, um, you know, clothing wise, I brought the Bruin primitive stuff. Um, 
the born primitive, uh, you know, I just, I brought one set of lightweight pants and one heavy, the fleece, um, you know, I had been using it quite a bit already. So, um, you know, I knew it was whatever. I didn't have any, wasn't like worried about using it, but it performed better than I had hoped, especially the lightweight pants, um, just with that deadfall rolling over it and crap didn't ripping you out. But I had a big question on the, the parkas, the, um, and I've posted this, you know, many times before, but the Lost Park Parka compared to the heavyweight board primitive, they're pretty much two different animals. The Lost Park is warmer, it's more durable, and it's more wind resistant. Um, that Lost Park Parka is literally meant to keep you alive. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it is there to keep you warm and um, very durable, low crawling, wind resistant for like crazy wind storms. The material is colanders, colandered is what it's called. So it's almost a wind blocker where... The born primitive one, there's nothing wrong with the jacket. It's, it, it is literally not as warm and it's not quite as durable than the Lost Park Parka. Um, so it's kind of two different animals. The Lost Park Parka also has a tactical hunting look mm-hmm. where the born primitive one looks like a puffy jacket that, you know, whatever. So yeah, the Lost Park is definitely warmer and more durable and way more wind resistant. So when people were asking that, I didn't bring the heavyweight born primitive. I bought the Parka. Yeah. Um, Bottom line is if I'm about to die, that's the jacket I, I grab. And so even though I'm, um, you know, partnered up with the Born Primitive guys, I'm not saying that, that the Born Primitive jacket's bad. It's just a totally different concept and design. Um, and when I say that, meaning I'll hike through some nasty shit in our jacket and not worry about it shredding. Right, right, right. Yeah, the outer layer on the Born Primitive is a lighter weight outer shell. It'll shred. And so those just the different things to look at. Low crawling is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ours is more waterproof. Um, it handles, well, I say water water resistant. So I had a, a bunch of questions on that. Not in a negative way. It's just people were asking. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, when the world ends, I'm definitely grabbing the Lost Park Parka. Um, it's like a difference between a Humvee and an F-150. Yeah, yeah. And I I, had, I, I compared an F-250 and a Tacoma. Same yeah. thing. <laughs> I was, you know, it's just two different you know, two different worlds. Um, and then, you know, shelter wise, the sawtooth the, and the liner and a stove, if it wasn't going to rain, I honestly would have brought pretty much anything. Um, when I say anything like a three season Hilleberg, a super tarp or, you know, no, no stove with the sawtooth, but you know, it's not just about drying your stuff off when it's raining. It's also having the room to put your shit yeah. and spread it out. Yeah. Um, when everything's totally soaked, um, you know, it's just, uh, having the room to lay everything out is nice. So. Yeah. I've, I've noticed sometimes when I've gotten really wet and have to dry off inside my tent, if it's a two, if it's a super small tent, like a one person tent, and then you have all your wet gear in there, it almost creates this like condensation layer inside the tent where it's wetter inside the tent than it would have been if you had more space to get like air moving through it. Yeah. hundred percent. When you're bringing in a body breathing, wet uh, clothing and everything else, it just creates, it's a condensation monster. Yeah. Yeah. So whether that's a tent or a single wall, it's even worse than a single wall unless you have a liner. So, uh, and then we brought the 18, 18 inch Smith cylinder stove, um, you know, in with that. So, yeah, and, and, uh, some of the other things that people had uh, asked me about, and this was a lot of, you know, I got out and I had 170 some <laughs> text messages and a lot of blood trail questions, um, you know, and a lot of arrow penetration questions and mm-hmm. things like that. So the, the one thing is um, that I want to cover, and this has nothing to do with my because it died quickly, like five seconds. Um when you shoot a mechanical broadhead, especially when you have lower arrow weight, the chances of a pass through are not great on an elk. Um, you'll get one sometimes, yep. um, but you're going to have a really big entrance hole where with a fixed blade, you're going to have a small entrance and exit. And that's personal preference. Now with my setup, 
a little bit different. It's got some ass behind it. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, generally people blame their equipment. Uh, very rarely <laughs> do you ever, you know, hear somebody say I screwed up yeah. um, or, you know, I hit wherever. So not, not to say that, that um, equipment doesn't fail, you know, and some people don't like the pivoting blades on a, um, uh, schwa- or on a sever and some people don't like the, uh, the way a schwacker opens. I mean, there's always, you know, something, um, the, the thing is, is, uh, you know, you hit it in the lungs and, uh, it's broadside, it's pretty much going to die. Yeah. Right. Um, you hit it in the liver, it's going to die. You just, it's going to take a little while. And if you bump it, it's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hit it and you have no idea where you hit it at that point, you should probably never really blame your equipment. Um, <laughs> And, and I say that I'm not making fun of anyone or, or anything. I, it's happened to me, but the hu- the mind sees what it wants to, yep. and it certainly remembers what it wants to. So, you know, when I have somebody say, I think I hit it a little far back, that is code for I sh- shot the shit out of the stomach, right? <laughs> um, and with a stomach hit, um, you know, there is a, the saying, when in doubt, back out. Mm-hmm pretty much true all the time for the most part. But like when you hit something and you're like, I think I hit one lung and liver, that could also be one lung and guts and one lung and diaphragm. There's a lot of options or, 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 or scenarios. If you push that animal, you're probably not going to find it. Yeah. Um, they make it a long time on one lung. Rotier and I were talking about it. He, th- he thinks they won't die uh, or, you know, he thinks they will die um, oh, yeah. with a one lung hit. I think they will live for quite some time on one lung. Whatever the case may be, if you bump them, you won't find them. Now, if you are at a point to where um, it might be better to push it and get them bleeding again, that is an assessment or a judgment call, meaning you straight up hit one lung, you might want to try to run it down depending, meaning you may never find it if you don't. Um, and it'll coagulate and you may not ever find any blood to, to trail it. And if you're on it and you're pushing it out, you, and it's a hard decision because, you know, you, you could make the decision on one animal and it'd be, oh yeah, man, I ran that thing down. The next animal, you never find it. Up and over the hill, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the same thing like with um, a, 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 a gut um, a potential liver or gut punch. I've never seen an animal go probably more than, 450 yards on a liver hit, and that was after it was bumped. Now, I'm not saying they won't. Mm-hmm. Generally, on a liver hit, they don't want to go far. So the best thing you can do is back out and wait three to four hours. They're going to die. Yep. Uh, a lot of times they die quicker than that. You hit the stomach, you got to throw a two or a one on the front of that number. Like it's going to take 12, 14 hours for that thing to, to die. And if you bump it, they can walk a long ways in the, with a stomach hit. Yep. So... I don't really know what to say on this without doing a lot more videos and things like that. But, you know, when someone hits an animal, um, I think I probably had 30 or 40 messages asking, like, you know, what do you think? And a lot of times it's, yeah, that thing's dead, but it's going to be a while before you find it or whatever. Just remember, like, try to make a best assessment of what you probably hit, meaning, go worst case scenario. If you think you hit liver, maybe you hit stomach and you, you need to wait a while. Yep. Um, when you're, when you're looking at the blood trail, uh, don't make it something it's not meaning with these new mechanicals and some bigger fixed blades, a muscle wound can give you a lot of false hope, like big blood trails. If he's not bleeding out of his mouth, um, no bubbles in it. Mm-hmm. You didn't hit a lung. Yeah. Um, and when you hit a lung, they bleed out of their mouth. Um, you know, usually you'll see a blood trail, uh, like if you hit on the left, you'll see a little small amount of blood up front from coming out of their mouth and then some on the left side. 
you know, if you get up to it and it's just some blood in a big circle, you probably just hit a big muscle and you, it's just bleeding a lot out of the muscle. But if there's no bubbles in it, right. you didn't hit a lung. That you know? bright red bubbly. Yep. Yeah. And if you hit a liver, um, it's darker, but there's certain muscle hits that'll look a little darker that may give you false hope. So if you're like, I think I hit it, um, you know, back a little bit, uh, you know, towards like the ass leg area. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I think I hit liver. Maybe I was wrong. Probably you just hit a muscle hit. And these are all things to like dissect. Um, the, the one thing for, for sure is, is once you bump an animal, your, your chances of finding it have decreased by 75%. Yeah. Um, 50, 70, a lot. So, you know, you kind of assess that and then make sure and mark it. Like a lot of guys just take off. Um, you want to make sure where you were, where the elk was, last blood, mark it really good on Onyx or GPS, make sure you can get back in there. But, you know, for the most part, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to go on a lot of, you know, blood trails. Once you bump it, you're, you're kind of fucked. Like not totally, but you've definitely... I mean, you went from, you know, obviously having a flat tire and a spare, uh, you know, to three flats and no spare. Yeah. Like you're, you're in trouble and you, you, the chance of finding it are not, not great. Especially those big bulls, man, if they want to live. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Other than that, I don't, you got any questions, anything you think I left out or what, uh, what were you using for your calls? Uh, so I had a Phelps suck me. No, it's called the easy sucker. <laughs> um, little green, uh, you suck in when, uh, when you use it, which uh, is good for if you're chewing because you're not blowing chew into your call. But um, I actually, the number one call, because they were pretty hot and heavy, was um, uh, an estrus call uh, he had, uh, Phelps had made for me a decade ago. I don't know, okay. eight years ago. And it says actually the Elk Reaper on one side and Is It September Yet um, on the other. A buddy of Chris uh, of ours, uh, owned, uh, he's a Is It September Yet was his social media page and whatever. So yeah. I had had that call for, well, 2015. So I guess seven years I've had that call. Just a um, read call? Yeah. Yeah. Just like a read estrus hyper, uh, you know, hyper cow call, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had that and then I had the aluminum uh, Phelps bugle tube. Uh, and then I used like the hyper pallet uh, call. So it's got like a little pallet on it just because the roof of my mouth isn't very deep. A um, little bit, or excuse me, it's extremely deep. So it's a little bit harder to close off air. Mm -hmm. So I, I have trouble bugling with, I can cow call great with a diaphragm, but I can't bugle that well. I can't too much air pressure and it leaks. So I actually use his reed um, that fits on the end of that aluminum tube. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just can't bugle worth a shit. Um, it sounds horrible when I try to bugle with a, <laughs> with a mouth read. So those were the primary calls I used. Um, you know, and we didn't, uh, we didn't, I didn't bring the bugle tube the first two days. Um, oh, wow. The bull I killed, my bugle tube was in the, the bull to cow ratio is too high. Um, ah. Arguable here, you know, like everybody's got their own opinion, but right. uh, you know, when, it, when, when it's 60, 70% bull to cow ratio, 50, 60%, whatever, once a bull gets a couple cows, three cows, he's really probably not wanting to lose them and maybe not want to fight. Now I'm not saying you can't bugle one in, but Mitchell and I left our bugle tubes in the tent and uh, huh. I didn't want to pack mine, uh, honestly. So <laughs> We cow called almost everything. I did not bugle one elk in. Oh um, shit! Wow. I, uh, response: We it was a three to one when I would bugle the cow call. They would they would to an estrus wine uh, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Excited mew. Uh, they would respond three to one to an excited mew compared to a bugle. Wow. Uh, to the point on the last day, I left it in the tent again. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to pack this thing around because they at cow call is the way to go. So like when we would get in close, especially if a bull was bugling from his bed, um, 
you know, there's a lot of, you start talking about the dynamics of an elk herd and, you know, when a cow's walking around whining and, and, and calling, she's looking for a mate or a group or however you want to look at it. You know, when a bull is bugling over and over, he's looking for a cow or just a ton of testosterone. Hey, I'm here, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you find a bull bugling out of his bed, um, and you don't see cows with them, you're probably going to kill that bull, uh, making a cow sound. Now a, a bull sounds a little bit different and this is in certain units and what I have found and people that hunt elk a lot, maybe screaming at the, you know, the, the speakers right now, but <laughs> for, for me, um, and the situation in a few units I've hunted, if I get a bull in his bed bugling, um, I bugle back. He's just going to bugle back. I get close enough in cow call that's going to help. He's going to want to get out and herd another cow up or at least come take a look at certain times. And so again, we didn't, we didn't bugle, um, very wow. much and a little bit different than what pe most people teach you. But anytime there's a high bull to cow ratio, I am a strong proponent of very little bugling. Um, and a lot of times, even if it's a bull and it's that get within a hundred and strike his natural DNA to fight. Yeah, uh, that shit doesn't work when he when he doesn't want to lose his cows. Yeah, um, yeah. A, a lot of times, sometimes it does, but but literally, like um, there was a bull that was maybe he was you know maybe it was three ninety, it'd be different, right? But he was three thirty, three forty, and he had fifteen cows. Uh, I bugled, and I was sub eighty. And, um, he couldn't see, so it wasn't a matter if he didn't see the bull, you know what I mean? As right, far right, as right. plenty of cover in the back. Uh, yeah, he kind of looked, he bugled back twice and he hooked all his cows and let's get the fuck out of here. walked up the hill. Yeah. He didn't want to lose his cows. And when there's that many bulls, the problem, I mean, think about it. You go to a, a bar and, uh, it's five to one, uh, male to female yeah. and you're not a big guy and you got lucky to find a woman, yep. you're probably getting the fuck out of that bar, yeah. right? You don't, you want to take her home before somebody steals her from yep. you. So the chances of them wanting to fight are not great. Now we watched tons of bulls fight and everything else. It just was not conducive to a ton of bugle. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, the first six elk we called in were mild cow calls with an estrus wine occasionally. And huh. Mitchell and I spread out 20 yards. And when they, you, on that video, I mean, he came in glunking and we never, we didn't sound like a bull at all. And he came in fucking hot, but he was wanting to hump, not yeah, fight. Not fight. Yeah. So are you, with the strategy on that, is it uh, a little bit different than when you're uh, doing a bugle? So are you stationary and just doing cow calls? Or are you still moving back from the shooter? We moved back from the shooter a little ways. We also have two. We had an ultimate predator gear decoy, and then we also had, I don't know what it is. He calls it Susie Hot Lips. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a three-dimensional uh, decoy. Not oh. something you can put on your bow, but it's something you can hold. Okay. And yeah. so that would be where, um, you know, when, when we would cow call, if that bull got hung up, we'd pop that head up. And then he'd come and, you know, sometimes you can shift him around like that. Mm -hmm. But we'd put the collar probably 40 yards because, you know, with, with – um, with South or with me, if I was shooting a stick, you, you, you got to be able to see the shooter to position to get that bull as close as possible. With a compound, not as difficult to get within, let's say, 40 yards right. or 50 of the shooter. But to get it within 20, sometimes I'll even shift 15 yards left or right. So what I try to do is just get to where I'm just at the top of a hump and I can drop so it can't see me and yeah. shift left or right. And then there, there's some wonderment in that uh, bull's eyes of – okay, he knows that land better than I do. He lives there. He knows there's a hump there. It might draw him like, I got to see what's over this this next hump where right. these cows are. And then we'll pop that head up a little bit, just <laughs> like the ears, and then they'll come. And then it, with that ultimate predator gear decoy, um, 
you know, I don't have it on my bow all the time. Sometimes it's more conducive than others, especially if you're in one patch of trees and that's the only setup you have and there's not a lot of back cover. Right. Yeah, you kind of need that to where they you can like pop the cow head out a little bit like it's peeking around and, and they'll come where, you know, normally with that, if they don't see a cow, they're not coming. You yeah. know, they'll hang out at that threshold and then walk away. And I'm not professing to be the greatest uh, elk hunter in the world or, or whatever. These are just certain things I've found that have, have helped um, in certain calling scenarios that, you know, when in doubt, mildly cow call. Um, occasional soft, semi-excited estrus wine if you're getting something to bugle back. Mm -hmm. Once you get it to bugle back, um, depending upon his response, in that high bull to cow ratio area, it's not that big of a deal to get him to come 100, 150 yards to take a look. In this case, that bull was 250 to 300 away, um, but he came in on a string. I mean, yeah, I think- The video is crazy. Yeah, and I mean he's a good, you know, he's an eight nine year old bull. Um, his teeth were falling out, and he was big bastard. And yeah. so, what I think he was is he's one of those bulls that waits for where he knows he's. You know, a lot of times you'll see smaller bulls kind of running a herd, and out of nowhere this big bull comes in and beats shit at him and and gets laid and then goes back and lays down on the tree line. Yeah, I think that was this bull. Like once he heard that estrus call, because um, there was a bull. Like I said, we had multiple bulls bugling just down and over from us. Mm-hmm. I think he thought that that cow had broke away from the herd looking for him and he came straight down and I'm assessing, but as fast as he, I mean, he came fast, hard and immediate. Mm -hmm. Like when he, when he come out of his bed, he was just, just growling, screaming. And then at a hundred yards, he glunked. And when I say glunked, um, it's kind of almost like a moose grunt. Yeah. When they glunk step for step, same with a moose, if he's grunting step for step, you're going to kill him. He said, stop fucking calling. He's coming. And a lot of people, it's like crazy ex-girlfriend. Like they keep calling. <laughs> Once he's doing that, he's committed. He's, he's coming in and you could hear it on the video. It was step for step. He was glunking, coming straight at us. And so when South had missed, he shot under it. Um, I you know, immediately cow called and went to full draw. When I shot it, he was looking at South still. So he was... The, I mean, that poor bull had no fucking idea. He wasn't, because South had just shot. There was a decoy. There was another decoy. And then my guy, Cal, called, and he actually looked up to see if what he had just heard, which was South shooting, was probably the cow. And then he took an arrow in the chest. Because yeah. um, he'd never seen, he didn't see me. I didn't, when I drew, he was going down the hill. So he wasn't looking at me. So when he looked up, my bow's painted. I look like a stump. I was wearing solids and, uh, you know, so I look like a dead tree anyway. So yeah. I'm standing up against the dead tree at full draw, not moving. And movement is more important for elk than, than camo. Um, yeah, I know. He, you saw he took that arrow like a champ, never moved a bit until it hit him. And then when it buried, I was like, I think I just blew that elk's heart in half. Um, and then it ran down and died. So it was pretty, Dang. pretty epic. But the bull was um, a bunch of people asked me score. I mean, uh, you know, conservatively high 340s. Um, yeah. He's got weak fifths, a little bit weak main beam. Um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't even going to measure it because I didn't give a shit. And then enough people hounded me. Amy and I went out and, uh, you know, he had a little bit weak main beams. He was like 46 and a half, 47 on the main beams. His fives, um, one was like four inches or something. And one was six, like not great fifths, but his mass was ridiculous. You can't fit your hand around it in any mass uh, circumference. And then his threes, um, you know, I figured they were pushing 20 and they were right at uh, 20 on his three. So a good bull that, that wasn't my biggest bull, but I got two or three, well, I got three that size. One's out 
front in the lobby. Yep. And I had, had shot one bigger than that. But I mean, I, people are, were making, oh, I thought you weren't a trophy hunter. <laughs> well, it came in and I killed it. It could have been 40 <laughs> inches smaller and I would have killed it. Like a trophy hunter is somebody that's actually, and I'm not like defending anti trophy I'm just saying like, I'm not going to take credit that's not due. Like the fucker could have been 40 inches smaller. I would have yeah. killed it. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is with trophy hunting would have been if I, it said, oh no, I need, uh, that's not over 350. I'm 420 bull. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm passing it up, you know, or whatever, or we had specifically hunted that bull. Yeah. He just came in and South and I both are like, okay, South, you know, he's kind of a 280 or bigger guy. Mm-hmm. I normally am a whatever the fuck I want to shoot guy, but this trip, 300, six by six, Alex Nestor bugged the shit out of me about that. <laughs> when I killed it, I had sent messages to you and Anders, probably 10 people yeah. that just said, Hey, I, I shot a giant. <laughs> and they're like, how big? I'm like, conservatively 340. I said, he yeah. may be pushing over 350. He's big. And, uh, yeah, so whatever. I mean, it's great bull. I mean, yeah. It's super cool. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some fucking, you know, trophy class elk hunter. He came in and honestly, dude, if it would have been hard not to shoot that thing oh if he was 280, like yeah. it, the way he came in, when you hear him, every step I'm like and the first 100 150 coming off because he was way above us not okay. way above us but in a tree patch on a ridge line yep like on a spur with a bench mm-hmm. when he came down that hillside he stopped three times and just just this nasty bugle and again Coulter wall would be the prime example <laughs> with his voice and his body that doesn't always mean they're big yeah but when I saw south with that shitty grin shaking his head with his thumb up I'm like Oh, it's got to be big. I'm, yeah. uh, it, South gets excited, but not, I mean, literally he was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, this thing must be big. When I saw it, I still was like, oh, he's good. I didn't realize how big he was till we got to it. I mean, it was ground growage by a significant amount. Well, it's, it's funny because you, like you said, his main beams aren't that long. When you see him from the side, you're like, oh yeah, it's probably a 300 bowl, maybe, you know, but when you see him from the front, you're like, holy shit, that's a 360. You know, it's, it's just an, it's an interesting layout, but. Well, the problem from the side, he's so fucking big yeah. body wise, it dwarfs his horns. Cause there's a video where I'm like, I said, man, this is a thousand plus pound bull. Like when you see his body, uh, so you take a 46 inch main beam yep. and lay it back and it only goes to his like ribs. You're yeah. like, Jesus, this thing's like a draft horse. I know so. somebody asked me like, how much do you think that weighs? And I was like, ah, oh, eight, 900 pounds. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. Yep. Yeah. I mean, big, you yeah, know, and so, huge. you know, I, I got as much meat as I could, you know, obviously I'm not saying I wasted a bunch of meat, but physically I, I, you know, I didn't take any rib meat. Um, yep. and I generally don't on, on elk unless it's closer to the road, but right. there was, um, 258 pounds of meat, uh, without, uh, the tenderloins and, uh, one full back strap and a little of the other because we had cut some of it up and yeah. cooked it. So I, you know, I don't, there, there's probably, it's probably, you know, a thousand pounds, 300 pounds of meat, give or take. So, uh, quite a bit. It sucked packing it out. I can tell you that, yeah. um, that poor fucking horse. Cause we put that whole thing on a horse in the rack and I, Louie was not happy. Uh, was the horse's <laughs> name. So, yeah, but I, I mean, some of the different things, um, uh, that, that I think um, with dealing with this rain and with, you know, maybe, um, you know, people not being as experienced on some of this or whatever, um, this, there's certain things that are like uh, maybe a, a do and a don't that are a, a gospel. Right. There's other things that are, eh, you know, whatever. So in Colorado, a lot of people don't bring reindeer. I've been one of them. But when you can see the weather forecast, 
you probably, you know, want to bring rain gear. The other thing's a fire starter. Like, um, you know, if you, if you didn't have a stove, like obviously we did, we had a cylinder stove, but like, you know, enough fire starter to worst case scenario. I always look at it when there's a, a 40% plus chance of rain. I bring a half of a, um, one of those, uh, fire starters that I use the atroxane tablets. Mm -hmm. I bring a half for each day that says 40% or more, which is a little bit overboard, but they're not very heavy. So if I'm on a 10 day hunt and half of those days are potentially shitty and rainy, um, I take a half a tab. So I might have three tabs on a 10 day hunt knowing I can start a minimum with three tabs, six fires, if not more. Um, you know, like the, some of the shit they come out with to build fires is not great that I've seen on the market today. Um, it looks cool by the car. You know, there's this like black powder rifle rope or some shit. Yeah, this black, it. yeah. Yep. yeah, it's rope, right? It's cotton <laughs> rope. Um, you know, don't fuck around with that. Just use shit that works, right? Yeah. Troxane tablets work. Uh, you know, Vaseline and cotton balls, That's they work. Go-to, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the, I brought some shit with me to try. It was life or death. I would have fucking died. Like I was yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Whoever invented this obviously hasn't done some extreme shit. Yeah. Like this is horrible. And you're supposed to pull it apart. And I got it pulled apart and started, but it was hard to like get it, keep it going. And then, uh, you know, and it's fucking raining. Right. Yep. And so, and shit's wet. So you're, you got to dry it and get it <laughs> like a nightmare. So the other thing too, is like uh, the different cordage potentially you would need cordage for boot laces, cordage to hang up uh, your meat, mm-hmm. cordage to hang up, you don't have to have it, but it's handy. I bring 1.8 millimeter. Uh, it's super small, super lightweight. A lot of times I use that as a clothes hanger. So if you look in some of our video, I wrapped that all the way around us and we hung our clothes from that. Simple little things like that are a big help. Um, you know, when you like gear repair, especially when you're sitting by a fire, burning fucking holes and everything you own. <laughs> um, tenacious tape is a good one. Gore-Tex yeah. patch kits are a good one. A little bit of uh, aqua seal, like seam sealer. Mm-hmm. Um, a small tube of that is good because like if you have a down jacket, for example, you can just goop that on the hole and it keeps the down inside and dries out. Um, you know, just simple things that I obviously take for granted. Um, you know, if you bring a single wall shelter with no liner and it's raining and it's small, you are a condensation magnet yourself. You're (laughs) breathing, um, your wet gear, as you brought up more condensation, the grass condensation, the rain on the outside condensation. And over the course of days and days, everything you own will be wet. Yeah. I've Um, made that mistake and it fucking sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your, your sleeping bag can go flat and it will, uh, if it's down. And so these are the things when people ask me questions, what's the best sleeping bag? It's like, well, what's the scenario? (laughs) Like our bag is not the best bag for an ultralight, great weather camping trip. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, cause you can get a down bag that's, I mean, expensive as shit, but you can get a 900 filled down bag that uh, weighs one pound, eight ounces. Right. Um, is that what I brought on this trip? Well, fuck no, no. And I would not have, I, I brought our bag cause I knew it was going to rain. <laughs> and without our bag, like I, um, uh, you know, I put clothes inside of it, damp my socks specifically in my t-shirt. I know that my feet already stink, but I throw them in the bag to dry them out overnight. Now I'm not going to throw in it like doing laundry, but with a down bag, you cannot do that with a, with a synthetic bag. You can't your outer layer. Anybody that brings outer layers, uh, puffy jackets that are down uh, with any rain is not something I would suggest. Um, 
you know, hydrophobic downs, a big one that gets pushed, it still gets wet, um, especially over time. And a lot of the guys in Alaska where they make fun of lower 48 guys, especially ones that aren't on the West Coast, rightfully so, um, if you don't know what you're doing and you have this new snazzy hydrophobic down, super cool, uh, whatever, yeah, it's still going to get fucking wet, right? Yeah. I mean, with enough rain. And so some of the things like for me is that like, you know, I say it's like a Tuesday, Um it's not like a Tuesday for everyone. I take that for granted because I, I talk a lot of shit for one, when we're back, it's the way I cope laughing, you know, like <laughs> South's the same way, you know, just he's uh, like, everything's damp and wet and you're miserable and you smell like shit and wet fire and you know, whatever, sweating to death. And uh, you just got to make light of it. Um, at times, probably if you were already struggling, I may not be the best motivator in the world. Now, <laughs> if you're motivated by the suck of it, yeah, it's great. You know, like somebody like South and Mitchell and I, we just made jokes like Mitchell was fucking soaked. No, he didn't have rain pants. He's like, yeah, I just don't normally bring them. I don't have it. I gave him mine. I left him with him. And so like, we're drying his shit out constantly. And like, he's got guppies coming out of the bottom of his boots. <laughs> you can't really do anything with that other than suck it up and be happy and make the best of it. Yep. The one thing though, that again, like the preventative things, you know, bring rain gear, obviously. But two is when you can stop and build a fire, dry everything out, you can. Keeping everything you have. Like I always bring a few ultra lightweight, um, like Cedar Summit dry sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep my stuff in it all day. So no matter how soaked my pack is, that stuff's dry. You know, your phone, for example, inReach Communication, I keep that in a Cedar Summit heavier weight bag that has a roll top. Yep. Um, you know, I put that in a pullout with some other stuff, but the the, the idea being is... It's always dry if I fall in a river or whatever. And, you know, you think about it, you have your phone and you're in reach and you're doing a creek crossing. If you fall in, like think about it right now, the way I have your pack set up. If you fall in and you have camera gear, let's say too, at what level of fucked are you, right? Um, <laughs> is your is your matches, is your lighter uh, protected? Because if that gets wet and you just have a bick, yeah, there's a lot of blowing for that fucker's going to work again. Do you have some some matches to get going? Is your communication device going to be screwed? Uh, meaning, let's say your inReach still works, but your phone is jacked. Um, yeah, you can still communicate off the inReach, but now when you get back out, um, you know, you're in reaching it up for it, for everything with no cell phone and potentially all your photos and video from your trip is not life threatening, but that's all potentially gone yeah. too. You know, there's a lot of things to look at and what gear you have inside is your puffy jacket inside is your fleece inside. Now you're that's soaked. Now your fire starter soaked. So two seconds to little preventative maintenance is, is, is not horrible. Yeah. And if you're solo back there, I mean, with you, you guys got, you got guys back there kind of enjoy the suffering together, but if you're solo six miles away from your truck and all your shit's soaked and it's going to be start snowing that night, I mean, that literally turns into life or death like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, just again, like just a little thing. So, yeah. you know, and, um, on, on this trip, it was a long ways in. We did have a horse packer which saved us physically getting it out. But um, I think um, you, the varsity level is different for a lot of people. Like um, w- when it comes to, you know, physically climbing, you know, things like that, the, the gear portion, the maintenance portion, uh, just an overall positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, that that's like the, the first thing to go, right? You get food deprivation, sleep deprivation, and then it's just, you're fucking mad at everything, right? And whatever. <laughs> and so you just kind of try to make the best of it. Um, you know, the other thing too, is what you maybe have at the truck isn't a horrible idea to kind of assess. Meaning once you get out, if you are potentially not borderline hypothermic, but pretty bad shape when you get to the truck, yeah. having a good meal there, having a dry set of clothes, um, having, you know, even as simple as a bath towel um, to rinse yourself off and get a little bit happier or whatever, especially if you've got to turn around and hike the fuck back in and get more stuff. Not a bad idea to have some food. And, and, you know, a lot of times I'll throw in, um, like if you, I like Gatorade zeros. Yep. They're not probably worth a shit for electrolytes, but I have uh, those elements. Mm -hmm. And so I have a concoction ready to go to drink and go back in. I used to carry uh, my IV bags. And if I was really jacked up, I'd give myself an IV in my foot um, to hydrate. Uh, Yeah. You look like a heroin addict. I I hang the (laughs) the IV bag from the mirror. That is Um, varsity level. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, it saved your life. It is. It's weird because if you, again, and I can see Kenneth and Daniel getting himself in, in trouble when your mental strength can overpower your physical ability is when you're fucked. Yeah, and yeah. most people, it's the other way around. Um, they mentally give out far before their body does. When you, when you have that capability of pushing yourself, the problem is, is when you do fail, it's like getting stuck in four wheel drive. <laughs> there's no, no, there's no other drive to go. Yeah. And so assessing like that and making sure you are not pushing that boundary of, okay, I'm mentally strong. That's great. But now I've pushed my physical level so far that when I start to give out now, I I am truly fucked. Like I am, I am giving out. And so I have definitely pushed myself that far. I was not, I shot my bull. I was working on that upper, you know, 10% of nothing left. That's where that IV bag would come into play is that's like a immediate bumping your, you know, pepping your step, um, you know, is, is, is electrolytes. Right? No, that's, that's, do you ever keep like a, a set of boots in your truck? So I, I constantly, uh, yeah, everything. So yeah. I have uh, two changes of clothes. One's a civilian set for like town and a full change of underwear, socks, pants, ba- I, everything in my truck. I have two sets of boots. I usually have 2092s for my, you know, the mountaineering boots I use for yeah. everything and like a Baltoro light. Um, you know, depending upon what's going on, uh, I have two to three days of food at a minimum. Um, and then I have shit food when I say that, meaning I have what I need to stuff my face with just to consume quickly. Electrolyte mix. I usually carry like a bucked up energy drink. I keep it in there. Um, you know, that type of shit, extra game bags, yep. you know, and, and you could get robbed, I guess, of that. Um, you'd have to, you know, assess that. But, you know, for, for me, um, I, I literally just look at it as uh, if, the you know, not to be a doomsdayer, but if the hunt is extended, I am physically able to walk out if I need. So I would, you know, walk out. I carry two gallons of water. One's generally to wash myself. Um, I don't carry a portable shower. I just pour that fucker over my head, rinse off. Um, and then the other one's just a drink. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, the what we just talked about there, the food and everything else, I'll have some extra fire starters, some crap like that, uh, just in case. Just in case, yeah. Yeah, and I, it's not a ton of stuff. It's just like, you know, a lot of times, like, let's say... If I, if I didn't, I didn't have to come back here. I've got you guys here, but like a mental stress and just seeing the wife and everything else. Um, I have a mule deer tag in Colorado. There's a high probability I shouldn't probably, I probably should have, but didn't or could have went straight from that to a processor, to a hotel, to mule deer hunting. Yeah. Um, it's pretty hard, you know, you, you could wash everything you have and everything else, but if you're, you know, on a limited time, I got everything I need to hit it again and, you know, be ready to rock the next morning. So I think 
It's called refit in the army. I think it's called jock up in the Navy uh, for seals. You got to get re-jock. Um, but yeah, just getting your shit back in a pile basically. So yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Uh, anything else you think we should cover? I don't think so. I think that pretty much uh, covers it. And plus you did the, the pack dump video that's on our YouTube channel. If you want to get a visual idea of what you took with you um, on that elk hunt. Um, yeah, I think think i don't know when that'll be out pretty quick yeah um if it's not already out i think it's coming out soon there was one pack dump we did um like with my full loadout for uh you know the trip and then there's a pack dump of how i load up the straight jacket and i think that one's not out okay um, okay uh, and that's just how i set it up for day hunting you yeah. know and, and what i have in there or whatever and then there's videos on the bow setup and the arrow setup and the water purification that we try to do videos on everything it'll be up on youtube soon so yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't have any more questions. Cool. All right. Well, we'll wait for part two for South to get off the mountain and uh, see how he did. And hopefully I didn't screw him over too bad. It seemed like a good idea at the time till the cameraman hiked out. So we'll <laughs> see how it ends up. But, uh, but yeah, it was a good time. And yeah, super cool hanging out with those guys and uh, ended up getting a great bull. So it was awesome. Congrats on the bull again. Yeah. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. <laughs>